All right. So anybody like to share? What, uh, what about this theme brings you today? Maybe it's just you wanted to sit and you had a free day, and why not? It's a beautiful day to meditate, but maybe there's something else about this theme. Maybe you were inspired by the withdrawal of the Paris Accord, or who knows what else. So we're just curious, what brings you here today? Just in a couple of words. Yes. Oh, thank you. Yes. Um, It's about connecting with myself. And when I come to Spirit Rock, it feels like I have a chance to do that. Uh So um, I was happy to see that you were here today and that I could come. So thank you. Great. So connecting with ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good. Yes. I am Paulette. I recently took an eight-week mindfulness class uh-huh. um, a short time ago, so I just wanted to build on that practice, really. Great. And get CE units, too. Great. <laughs> so two for one. Build on your MBSR class, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction class. Yes. Okay, yeah. Great. Yes. Great. Great. And over here. And I'm actually here because I want to disconnect with myself. Ah, what do you mean? Well, I want to not obsess about things and uh-huh. worry about stuff, and I, I want to get out of my, learn how to get out of myself more. I see. So, so disconnecting from the, the mind and, spinning. The ego. Uh-huh. The ego chatter and machinations and... Yes. Yes, at the frontier. Thanks, Noah. So, um, I was excited to see that you were teaching, uh-huh. and um, I've had a little sabbatical from uh, day longs here at Spirit Rock. I have two young children, so uh-huh. I'm just kind of jumping back in now Great. after a few years, and it's exciting to be back and mm. feeling very necessary. Mm. Trying to find that space and time to make that happen. I think this is only my second. So, um, I'm just excited to be back. Obviously, this topic appeals to me, given Mm -hmm. sort of the world. Really, um, kind of vacillate between being very engaged with what's happening, like in the news or politically, and then also being very disengaged. And Mm -hmm. so, just trying to find some middle ground and being able to just really come back. Present, being mindful, and... Mm -hmm. um, I'd like to know how to approach it in a Mm -hmm. way that I don't. Yeah, yeah, great, great.
how to approach it from a standpoint of just maintaining some, I guess, level of peace internally. Uh, mindfulness has been really my, I mean, since our new president was elected, I really decided that just to really just double down on my commitment to mindfulness because I don't really see it. And it's been really important. Uh-huh. And, um, and I just was glad you were here as well and uh-huh. um, wanted to had a day to. All right. Well, thanks. So um, uh, that gives me a little sense of what's in the room. I'm sure there's other things, but so you know, when we plan these days, we have to plan quite far ahead, and um, so you know, we throw out themes. And I guess I planned this day long last fall, responding to political events, and timely um, to have a day of practice where we also include what's happening in the political sphere, since that has such an impact on so many of us, maybe more so now than in the past, maybe. And um, it's also the place that we get... It's also a place that we get so easily and profoundly triggered. How many people were triggered by uh, the president pulling out of the climate accord yesterday? Just raise your hands if you if you found that triggering. Or may not be surprising, but still triggering. And, of course, there's been many, many, many things happening in this administration that have been challenging for many people. Um, And um, so, you know, it's it's important to to ask of ourselves and our practice, what is is the wise relationship? What is the wise response? How do we work internally with our triggers and how do we work externally uh, with uh, whatever kind of informed response or action do, does being asked of us. All right. So, um, you know, and I imagine for many, if not all of you, this being a, you know, a, variety of uh, emotions and reactions in response to the changing political landscape. And um, so, so we're here to kind of partly to, to look at that. Uh, not necessarily, this isn't, you know, we're not, we're not here for political strategy. That's not what we're doing today. We're really looking at I mean, that might arise for you, um, hopefully, maybe some inspired action, you know. But we're, we're, we're looking at, you know, what happens here in relationship to the, to the bigger picture. And, what, you know, how do we use these, these practices as supports and as 
uh, refuge and um, a way to discern and, and navigate you know, the, the turbulent times. And I'm certainly not, you know, and I'm certainly very much part of that, you know. Um, probably no doubt gone through many, if not the same, or similar waves of emotions and concerns and, and reactions and disbelief and horror and outrage and fear and... Um, Sadness and grief and disbelief and you know just a range of human emotions. <clears throat> and been reflecting both as a as a person, as a student, as a practitioner, and as a teacher. You know what what is the wise relationship? You know so much of Dharma practice is is wise wise relationship to life, to to each moment, internally, externally. And as has been mentioned already, um, the you know the, the variety of response of, of becoming very engaged and active, and checking out and wanting to disappear and hide, and just that the spectrum, you know, wanting to take to the streets or taking to the streets, or you know, overwhelm too much, numbing out, check out. Um, one 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 spectrum of polarity. Um, bearing witness to ignorance and suffering, and, and looking very squarely at it, and figuring out wise ways to respond. So. And I want to set some context. <clears throat> and um, I'm going to read this piece that I think is very interesting. <clears throat> All parts of the earth are built over, trampled, full of commerce. Farms and fields drive back the forests. Even rocks are cultivated. Swamps are drained, and today's towns outnumbers, outnumber yesterday's houses. Everywhere on earth are residences, peoples, governments, and human growth now so clogs the world that it can barely support us. And as our needs increase, we struggle with each other for them, and nature fails us. Terulian, who was a Roman writer in 150 A.D., Give some perspective. <laughs> this is not the first time that humanity is despairing at humanity's growth and impact on the world, on the earth, and each other. Very, very interesting. So, you know, we're part of just another cycle, another wave, another blip, another blip in the earth's life. But even the blip in humanity's cycle of ebb and flow, of expansion, contraction, of progress and regression, of closure. This is part of, you know, live long enough, you see the cycles. You know? March forward, 
and there's a contraction. There's some really good political commentaries about how to how to hold what's happening is you know one you know many different perspectives, including a natural contraction to a lot of progress in the last fifty years. It's one way of holding it. Cultists bringing out that which is unconscious, which needs to be healed and integrated. Another way of holding it. So there's a lovely teaching by the Buddha, which I think is very instructive in all of our practice, but and pertains to this this domain also of how do we hold the political social sphere. Especially the sort of deeper movements and trends in society and politics. And and, and this quote is um, as whatever the mind frequently dwells and ponders upon, that becomes the inclination of the mind and heart. Whatever the mind, whatever the attention frequently dwells and ponders upon, whatever the mind focuses on, that becomes the inclination of the mind and heart. So the instruction is, where do you place your attention? Because where you place your attention and how you place your intention is instructive for what unfolds. So, I'll read a poem by um, when, uh, not Wendelberry, uh, Anna Akhmatova, who's a Russian poet. Called Everything is Plundered. In a way, this is sort of a context for the day. Everything is plundered, betrayed, and sold. Death's great black wings scrape the air. Misery gnaws to the bone. Then why do we not give up in despair? By day from the surrounding woods, Cherries blow summer into town. At night, the deep, transparent skies glitter with new galaxies. And the miraculous comes so close to the ruined, dirty houses, something not known to anyone at all, but wild in our breast for centuries. By day, from the surrounding woods, cherries blow summer into town, and the miraculous comes so close to the ruined, dirty houses, something not known to anyone, but wild in our breast for centuries. The poem it speaks to, right? Death's black wings scrape the air, misery, misery gnaws to the bone. Why then do we not give up in despair? Right? Both are true. Right? You can look anywhere in this world and there is despair and misery, there's degradation, there's racism, there's violence, there's oppression, there's injustice, there's poverty, there's needless famine. Right? It's real, it's true, it's happening every day in this county and every other county. And it's also spring and beautiful 
and the wild sweet peas are blooming and the California poppies are shining and you know the salmon are swimming and the creeks are flowing and the birds are migrating back and nesting and that's also true. Where do we place our attention and how does that influence our experience and our perception and our view of the world? So, for example, yesterday looking at the president pulling out of the climate accord, which was, you know, 20 years in the making of tremendous amount of work. I mean, probably millions of hours of meetings and strategies and marches and, you know, you name it. And, um, you know, from one perspective is a, is a very short-sighted decision, fueled, I would say, by ignorance, by aligning more with fossil fuel industry than climate, than nations who are at risk of losing their islands and whatnot. And yet, the response has been amazing. It's like this very inspiring catalytic action from France and China and uh, states and mayors and governors and globally saying this is not going to stop us. You know? California and New York have banded together the fourth biggest economy in the world. Those two banding together saying we're not going to change. We're not going to let some idiotic presidential decree change our strategy. You know? um, and you know, it's interesting, there was, a, there was a Facebook thing that went round a while ago of um, saying, you know, thanking the president for reviving American democracy. Because now everybody knows who their senator is, who their local representative is, and they know how to campaign, they know how to call, they know how to write letters, and their people are stepping up and acting in a way that we weren't doing this, you know, those on the progressive side weren't doing so much in the last eight years because we had an amazing, very, you know, progressive president. And in the same way, and there was an, I read an interesting article yesterday saying, I'm glad Trump pulled out because it woke people up. You know, we, you know, most people were sort of sleeping at the wheel. Oh, it's, you know, the Paris Accord is great. Everything's going to be great. It was not going to be great. It's the Climate change is marching on, Paris Agreement or not. And I think what the, the irony of this is it galvanizes a huge grassroots support to say, we are really committed to this and this is how we're going to take action. And so, where, where do we place our attention? Do we, do, we, do we focus on the despair or do we focus on the invigorated passion and aliveness of resistance and progressive action. So there's a Japanese uh, tale 
that sort of speaks to this where there's two farmers and um, uh, one farmer has uh, and adjoining farms and one farmer has a healthy son and the other is childless. You've probably heard the story. And the farmer says to the one the farmer the childless farmer says to this to the other farmer, his neighbor he says, Oh, you're so lucky you have this healthy, vibrant son, he can help you, you know, farm and take over the land and, and, and this father this farmer had to be quite wise, said, Well, you know, who knows? And um, <clears throat> and then a few days later the, the, the son finds a horse, catches a wild horse in the forest. And his neighbor comes up and says, oh, you're so lucky, you now your, your son has a horse, he can help you plow the fields, you'll be so much more fortunate. And, and, the, and the, farmer, the wise farmer says, who knows? And then a few days later, the son's riding in the forest, taming the wild horse, he falls off, breaks his leg. And the farmer comes over, his neighbor says, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, it was looking so good, you had this horse and the healthy son, now he can't help you farm, this is terrible. And the, and the, father, and the farmer says, who knows? A few days later, the military comes around trying to recruit young men for the local army, and they see that his, this young, vibrant man is injured with a broken leg, doesn't recruit him. And again, this neighbor comes up, oh, you're so lucky that the army didn't recruit your son. And of course, he says, who knows? Who knows? We don't know in the moment what is good or bad. It can seem terrible or seem fantastic, but we don't know. We can't know what unfolds, what all the causes and conditions that will unfold from this moment or this action or any moment. And what seems like horrific and regressive, certainly does to most of us, probably in this room, what's happening, at least in, 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 in Washington, maybe a great wake-up call that wouldn't have happened had conditions been different. So another um, piece of writing in in support of that um, notion. This is from Wendell Berry, who's a farmer and uh, an activist and poet. And he writes, When we no longer know what to do, we have come to our real work. When we no longer know which way to go, we have begun our real journey. The mind that is not baffled is not employed. The impeded stream is the one that sings. The impeded stream is the one that sings. Right? How many of you like to go to a creek or a river and, 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 and listen to the cascading sound of water on the rocks? Right? We love that. It's beautiful. No rocks, nothing impeding this flow of water, no sound. Right? The river sings because it's impeded. So we often act because there's an impediment. Right? So we think of this time as a huge impediment to all kinds of things. Justice, inclusion, ecological sustainability, social harmony, racial harmony, 
And yet, uh, the very you know, intensity of the ignorance and the greed and the narcissism and the hatred, which is an impediment to wisdom and kindness and inclusivity, right? generates a huge wave of engagement, civic engagement, which hasn't happened for a long time. So, so the practice of mindfulness, one way of understanding mindfulness practice is it is a practice of bearing witness, paying attention to what is, meeting the truth of what is. In our hearts, in our minds, in the world, in each other, without bias, without judgment, without a whole amount of proliferation or reactivity. Very hard to do. Very hard to do in ourselves. All kinds of impediments in ourselves, like physical pain, like emotional pain, mental angst. Not easy to bear witness to. Easy to bear witness to each other in the ways that we harm each other and and violent or abusive or mean or rejecting of each other. Not easy to bear witness to what's happening in the world. Tremendous amount of suffering and uh, violence and oppression and pollution. And I mean, it's just really hard to bear witness, hard to turn the TV on. I don't turn the TV on. Hard to enough listen to the radio. It's very, very sad what's happening. I'm driving over this morning listening to APFA um, <coughs> and to um, Amy Goodman's morning mm. War and Peace report, which is sort of like the, <laughs> like the, the daily gloom report. <laughs> of global tragedy, you know, from Venezuela to India to, you know, you name it. It's, it's happening, you know, Israel to China to the Indonesia to... Very hard to bear witness to the tremendous horrors that the human beings do to each other out of greed and ignorance and fear. And that is partly our practice. How do we bear witness? You know, one of my mentors, Joanna Macy, you know, she started the Nuclear Guardianship Project way back in, I think, the early 70s. Where people would stand outside of nuclear facilities to bear witness to the, 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 the tragedy of... The, of nuclear weapons and nuclear proliferation. Not easy to bear witness to the tremendous devastating consequences of that industry. Easy just to go to sleep. 
or we don't just glue our eyes to the screen, right? That's not... Mindfulness also comes... Mindfulness arises in the context of what's called satisampajanya, clear comprehension. An integration of wisdom with mindfulness is satipanya, mindfulness wisdom. That That we're not just paying attention like you know, having the the microscope on or the the you know the lens open of the camera, right? We're also doing that in a skillful way. Right? We don't just watch images of horrific news all day. That doesn't help anybody. So we have to be discerning about what and how and where we pay attention. And we also, um, as part, you know, in, in the context of mindfulness, in terms of the you know, the broader view of the path that the Buddha spoke to, <coughs> that we also need to integrate many other qualities into our practice. Balance. How do we stay balanced in our lives, in the world, right? in 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 these challenging times? So a lot of what I want to focus on today, what us to focus on today, is balance. How do we stay grounded, resourced, nourished, so we have some capacity to meet what is, and we have some capacity to meet the difficulty. So in the same way that we just meditated for a few minutes as we started right? it's a way of you know our meditation practice is a way of finding that ballast the anchor presence stillness centeredness in the midst of changing turbulent inner and outer circumstances And as with life, as with political change, as with many things, it's not a sprint. How do we stay sustainable and grounded for the long haul? This is all the different difficult things that are happening and will be happening and have been happening. It's a long-term project. Social change is a long-term project. Political and civic engagement is a long-term project. How do we stay grounded in the midst of all that? And I remember listening to both Obama and Van Jones, who's a political commentator, and to others after the election. I particularly listened to Van Jones, who had some gave some sort of impromptu talks to his base and. Uh, this was just after the election, so two months before the inauguration. And his advice to people in the, in, in the movement was to rest. Rest, recover, right? The run-up to elections, very stressful, those engaged in political action. Rest, nourish, restore, renew. 
because you're going to need all the energy you have for the next four years. Very wise words. You know, people will probably expect them like, okay, ramp up the fight. And it's like, no, it's, this is a long haul process we're engaged in here. So, so what I want to do today is is both, you know, really support our practice in, in different facets, both nourishing, grounding, centering. I want to explore working with the reactive mind because that's certainly what's up for a lot of people. And then this afternoon, more explore some of the heart qualities. Right? How do we? work with our sense of otherness, separation, blame, judgment, fear of others? How do we create a more radical inclusivity? How do we nourish the heart and also uh, allow the heart to be loving and inclusive in ways that it might ordinarily want to contract and with fear or distrust? So that's sort of the rough lay of the land this morning, more oriented towards mindfulness, grounding, centering, looking at that, where we incline our minds, drawing on the support of nature, stillness, meditation, community, looking at our reactive reactivity. And um, what else wants to happen in, in the midst of all that? So... So we'll do some practice. So if you'd like to, maybe you might want to stand for a moment just to stretch a little. Um, Want to grab a cushion or two for sitting. We've gone for bathroom break, so let's take, if people need the bathroom break, this, let's take a few minutes, but come back promptly.
finding a comfortable posture. It, it is upright. Grounded quality of the lower half of your body, feeling your legs and your feet, hips, sit bones. Feeling that combination of the groundedness and then feeling the uprightness. Also, the crown of your head lifting. Allowing the heart to open, chest to open. Noticing if you're holding any tension that you can invite to release in the jaw, the eyes, the shoulders. Belly to relax and soften. there will be the inevitable sounds, mechanical sounds, human sounds, natural sounds. The awareness be spacious, so not lean negatively influenced by the sounds, just letting the sound blow through like the wind blows through the trees. We have your whole body sitting, your posture, 
Or in your skin. Quality of energy in the body, the liveness, tiredness. Their experience of the body like sitting, sensing. This, that sense <clears throat> that nothing particular needs to happen. Sitting, aware of sitting. Rooting in that awareness, the awareness of breath. and sensing each inhale, each exhale. Breath connects us with the air all around us. Grasses, plankton.
changing the breath, not trying to make anything happen, simply noticing, feeling, sensing what's here. Breath, each out breath. Pause between breaths. Very, you can use some labels of in and out with the breath or counting one on the inhale, two on the exhale, up to ten. And if your attention wanders, coming back to one. Just if you can feel any sense of ease on the out-breath, exhale, the and letting go. Noticing when your attention wanders, as it naturally will. You may notice many other things, bird sounds, other sensations, feelings, and most likely a lot of thoughts, images, memories, plans, ideas. 
make a problem out of that. Acknowledging all these things when they arise, when they hold the attention. Directing the attention to the simple awareness of sitting, sensing the body, breathing itself. of uh, committing to simply being here, sitting, sensing, breathing, listening,
behind inviting you over and over here this moment this breath this body
last few minutes of the sitting. Adding to this intention to be present, to ground awareness in the body, in the breath. So one of, th- one of the things I think is most important um, in these times, as I've mentioned already, is staying nourished, staying balanced, staying resourced. So easy to get triggered, reactive, and um, a lot of things that keep us busy and not centered. Or to fixate on what's wrong and what's negative and get fried. So I want us to do a practice in a minute that's um, one, you could say, a practice of taking in the good, 
It's a phrase that Rick Hansen uses around inclining the mind to the positive. You know, we have a hardwired negativity bias, as you may know from reading the research or you may know from your experience, <laughs> that we tend to fixate not on the deer that's running past the building, but on you know, one's knee pain or uh, you know, the latest catastrophe news or um, what's wrong. And when we do that, it's very draining. You know, when we orient towards, just like having, if you have chronic physical or emotional pain, if that's all you pay attention to, it's exhausting. Right? There has to be a way to balance and nourish and resource in the same way that it has to be when we're in challenging times. So I want to share this piece from Jack Gilbert, who's a wonderful poet, called A Brief for the Defense. It's part of a longer poem. And he writes, Sorrow everywhere, slaughter everywhere. If babies are not starving someplace, they are starving somewhere else, with flies in their nostrils. But we enjoy our lives because that's what is asked. Otherwise, the mornings before summer dawn would not be made so fine. The Bengal tiger would not be fashioned so miraculously well. The poor women at the fountain are laughing together between the suffering they have known and the awfulness in their future, smiling and laughing while somebody in the village is very sick. There is laughter every day in the terrible streets of Calcutta, and the women laugh in the streets, in the cages of Bombay. If we deny our happiness, resist our satisfaction, we lessen the importance of their deprivation. We must risk delight. We can do without pleasure, but not delight, not enjoyment. We must have the stubbornness to accept our gladness in the ruthless furnace of the world. To make injustice the only measure of our attention is to praise the devil. Stubbornness to accept our gladness in the ruthless furnace of the world. And this is, you know, an interesting invitation. And often we might feel guilty about our you know, relative ease, our relative comfort, our relative privilege. And many of the things, many of the harrowing things that are happening either in the world or because of climate change or because of this administration's policies may not be affecting us so directly, at least not right now. Or we may just feel a sense of um, a little bit of uh, um, our inability to to let in what's beautiful because we know that there's so much suffering in the world which as Jack Gilbert's pointing to doesn't actually help those who are suffering it just diminishes our own well-being so I'd like us to do some walking practice but walking practice with a slightly different orientation. So normally in this tradition we walk up and down, mindfully aware of our body, aware of our legs and feet, and just using the walking as a really support for awareness, as a support for concentration, so our attention is more inward than outward. Um, And I'd say let's do that, but also let's be aware, have a more open awareness, right? different ways to focus, very different ways 
different ways to practice mindfulness. One is more inward-oriented, one is more focused, and one is more open. So I'm going to invite you, since it's such a gorgeous spring or summer day, is it summer now? Is it summer, officially? 21st. All right, so it's still spring. So I can say it's a beautiful spring day, (laughs) which it is. And as you're walking up and down, I mean, you might not walk up and down, but if you, either way, you can walk up and down or just let yourself meander. Um, You know, be in your body, be in your feet touching the earth, caressing the earth with your feet, be in your full sense of the body moving, but also be aware of your, of, of sights, of sounds, of smells, of the air, of the sun, of the breeze, of the fragrance, of the. And so we're letting ourselves be touched and nourished by the beauty here. This is a very beautiful place to be and to practice and to really drink that in. Right? As much as there is horrors in the world, there's also beauty in spring. And it's, and, and it's important to really take that in and let that nourish ourselves as in the way that you are doing here today. You know, in the way that Thich Nhat Hanh, when he was with his monks and nuns in Vietnam in the 60s and 70s, you know, would have them, you know, even during bombing campaigns and, you know, in the midst of very, very war-torn situations, you know, we'd have them go outside and walk in the vegetable garden and the herb garden and, and be present to whatever beauty was there. Okay. Support for nourishment as a support for having a very inclusive awareness, not just fixated on the stress. So I'll read this and then I will go outside. This is from John O'Donohue, another beautiful poet from Ireland priest. And he writes, you have traveled too fast over false ground. Now your soul has come to take you back. Take refuge in your senses. Open up to the small miracles you rush through. Become inclined to watch the way of rain when it falls slow and free. Imitate the habit of twilight taking time to open the well of color that fostered the brightness of the day. Draw alongside the silence of stone until its calmness can claim you. So we'll do some walking practice. We'll do that for about 25, 30 minutes. We'll ring a bell and we'll come back and I'll talk a little more about aspects of practice, particularly working with reactivity. We'll do a little sitting. We'll have open up for discussion. And then we'll break for lunch. So any questions about the walking? Yeah, you can walk out there. I think there's a little patio there. But you can't get out beyond that, as far as I know. So I'd suggest going downstairs and then you can walk on the... There is, there is an event happening in the main hall till noon, but you can walk on the patio here and walk on the road, um, and you can walk in the hills, but I wouldn't go for a hike. Like You can go for a hike at lunchtime. I mean, just, so, you know, and, and actually on that meadow down where the old community hall was, uh, it's also a nice, nice, nice grasses to walk on there. So, um, walk that far, so. Um, 
Yeah, so we'll come back at 11.40. Okay, enjoy your walking. And I'll stay behind in here in case anybody has any burning questions.
I was walking outside. Ring. Observations about walking, aside from beautiful. <laughs> Gratitude, yeah, nice. That's a very resourcing emotion. Often we're just goal-oriented. Got to get to the destination, got to get to the top of the hill, got to get to the meeting. Yeah, and not just, oh, nice here as it is over there, (laughs) or up there. Yeah, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the childlike curiosity. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, the, the phrase that we might use is beginner's mind, you know, kind of fresh, and seeing it f- anew. Dandelion, yeah, it's a weed. <laughs> it's a problem. Yeah, nice. and then nature scape. Yeah. Yeah. Walking somewhere. Oh, I was walking down Tennessee Valley yesterday and um, you know, the first part of the trail's tarmac and then it goes to dirt road. And and actually my friend and I were both commented that having spent time on the beach and then on the dirt road and then coming back on the concrete tarmac, there was a sense of lifting up as opposed to being rooted in. Very interesting, like a very, it literally felt like the energy had shifted upwards. All Earth, ultimately, but there's a, <laughs> there's a, when we intervene with it, it, it takes out some of the some essence or something. And also more, you know, as you say, more flexible. Yeah.
Yeah, nice to, nice to have that sensitivity where you notice the nuance of the air, you know, the moisture and the you know, near water. The air is different. It's cooler and fragrant. That equality. Yeah. It was, but not so. It goes quickly. <laughs> Parched land. Seems like the sense of smell is the most evocative of memory. I don't know what that relationship is. I know it's the, the sense of smell was our earliest sense that the brain developed. So I don't know. So rich of association. Yeah. Good, yes. I, I, I love seeing that awareness and sensitivity to allows that joy in the, in the ordinary. Yeah. Cultivate presence, right? So we can actually be present, slow enough, receptive enough to actually see the beauty. Amazing life force. Nice. Well, I'm happy that there was some place to, to do this kind of practice. Right? And I lead a lot of my teachings outside because of that reason. It's very nourishing, it's very grounding, it's very um, centering, and very senses and uh, interest. Mm-hmm. 
And, and back to the theme of what we're exploring today, um, the, one of the reasons I wanted to do that, being in these you know, aggravating times, right, it's very easy to lose sight of the simple joys and to be lost in our heads and our minds and our thoughts and our worries and our fears and our reactions and our judgments. And, um, you know, and there's maybe perhaps valid place for much of that. And we can, the, the spinning, you know, when we get triggered, which we do, you know, and the fight, flight, the neural circuitry of uh, reactivity kicks in, we stop. Being able to resource ourselves, we just you know create more fear, more drama, more story, more fear, and I was um, flying recently to I had a I was flying to New York from San Francisco, and I had a a very early morning flight, and I had a a podcast in New York uh, at the end of the day that I was needed to get to, and it was a total last. It was like a bookend of my book tour, and it was probably the most important podcast I was going to do in terms of, you know, in terms of popularity. And so I had a lot of investment in getting there on time. And of course, my six a.m. flight had mechanical failure, and the seven a.m. had mechanical failure. And I thought, and and I made an impulse decision to go via Chicago, thinking that would be, you know, rather than waiting waiting around for planes that, you know. You know how that goes when your plane's got mechanical failure. <laughs> it ends up usually being cancelled, and which the first one was. Anyhow, we get to Chicago, and then the captain comes out and says, we've got mechanical failure. <laughs> and uh, so we watched them change. It took them three hours to change a tire. Um, and uh, anyhow, it's a bit of a drama. Got to New York late. Ma- managed to make the podcast, even though I was late. And... Um, but it was interesting to, you know, I was really feeling the fruits of my practice. One, not to get upset with the staff, because it's not their fault. And they're just doing their job, trying to placate all the annoyed customers. And and then um, I, I noticed as soon as I got on the plane, both planes, they were both delayed. <laughs> um, and I looked out the window, and I was just, okay, well, I'm going to enjoy the view. Like, it was very easy to reset there's nothing you can do. You're late, you're on a plane, you're going to get there when you get there. And um, I was just appreciating how the practice allowed me to stay resourced even though it was very stressful. And and resourcing for me in that moment was looking out the window, enjoying the cloudscapes and the the mountains and and whatever else was down below. And and I think that's something that we, that it's harder to do when we're triggered. When we're triggered, we, you know, we kind of, you know, the amygdala's firing and our prefrontal cortex shuts down and we you know, we lose that ease and relaxation in the body, we lose that orientation to the present and um, bounced. We get triggered, we get fried, we get exhausted, we get reactive. So... Um, you know, in our practice, mindfulness practice, awareness of 
breath, body, feelings, pain, thoughts, emotions, difficulties, joys, sorrows, right? All of that practice is a training in many things. It's a training in awareness, it's a training in insight, it's a training in grounding, it's a training in non-reactivity, it's a training and it cultivates equanimity. At least that's the theory. <laughs> you know, that we learn how to hang out with difficult, painful, boring, irritating stuff, like our body, or our annoying mind, or our difficult, challenging, painful emotions, or you know, the dramas in our families and our relationships and you know and so often ask them, well, how do I deal with, you know, the reactivity, listening, you know, to little speech yesterday that was it's a great equanimity practice. <laughs> How do you listen if you choose to listen? And that's a, that's an interesting choice in itself. I choose mostly not to listen. You know, I, I read I'd rather than listen. I write. I choose, and I'm very discerning about my media input because it's a very strong impact. Right? And I think it's really and I'll talk about that later about you know how how we you know how we get our media and information, you know, and, and whether that serves or not. You know, and I have friends who watch a lot of the news and, and uh, seem completely debilitated, you know, or completely caught in reaction or depression. And then there's other people who choose to ignore it, and, and, and that's another path, but there's a bit of sense of the head in the sand. And how do we work with that? It's great practice, you know. How do you how do you listen to your political opponent or friend who or family? You know, you go home for for your family vacation, and you know half the table has a different political viewpoint and voted for a different party. And right? how do you not separate, shut down? Rant, <laughs> get righteous, and, and you know. So you know. So our practice, you know, this daily practice, this moment-to-moment practice of sitting, being with what is. Warning signs of, of, of getting annoyed, frustrated, closed, agitated, aggravated, reactive. Um, with a good friend of mine not so long ago and uh, he kind of surprised me by um, he's a bit of a um, libertarian um, and um, was was questioning the, the science behind climate change and the relationship to you know fossil fuels and human impact and and my first response was, Are "You kidding me? <laughs> like, <laughs> I thought you were intelligent." <laughs> you know, like I, I just, I just, there was disbelief, and then there was frustration, and then there was reactivity, and I got, I got really frustrated, and um, I had to really watch my reactivity because, well, that doesn't help anything. 
and my judgment and my um, part of me wanted to just reject, you know, I can't believe you hold that view. I want to reject this whole thing. But this is a friend, you know, it's been a great friend in, over the years. You know? How do I stay present and um, logical and not just consumed by my frustration and person for the view? practice to do and I'm sure we all have friends who have different points of view or family for sure where we get to practice working with reactivity and equanimity and staying steady in the fire and um, because they don't share the same views or ideas or So let's do a little practice, and I want to invite this quality of, um, you know, there's two, two important modes of mindfulness. One is attending to what is. One is attending to the relationship to what is. Right? So whatever you experience in your practice is the same as what you experience in life. Right? Beauty and challenge and joy and sorrow and pain and expansion and, you know, the Practice is a great mirror and metaphor for how you relate to that which you don't want and don't like. Right? How many people have physical pain today? Raise your hand. Right. One thing to work with. Right? Watching the mind close or shut off or push away or reject or blame or judge or fear or futurize. Right. How many people have emotional stuff going on today that's not easy to be with? Go on the list, and we know we would all raise our hand at some point about something that's not easy to be with. So the practice is inviting. How am I relating to this? My physical pain, my emotional pain, my grief at what's happening to the environment, my rage at what's happening in DC, the sadness of what's happening in my family, my children, or. So can we bring a, you know, a presence to that? Can we notice when we harden, contract, fight, resist, hate, judge? Can we bring softness or kindness to that? Because in, in the very moment of that being triggered, it's very painful. And when we get shut down, caught. You know, none of us wants to be caught. None of, none of us wants to be reactive, but we get reactive. We're human. Until you're fully free, you're reactive. We get reactive. So how do we, how are we when, you know, maybe you're, you're sitting quietly and then either some knee pain comes or back pain or some memory of something recently that was very triggering, boom, there's a flare-up. The calm pace, space disappears and wrestling and fighting and Get rid of this thing, this pain, this person, this difficult scenario. 
versus, you know, can we open to it? Can we learn from it? Can we be with it? Can we bring kind curiosity to it? So let's sit together. Share this piece of writing from And Chosen Bays, who's a Zen teacher, one of my favorite readings. And she writes, In this passing moment, all things come to be, and I vow to choose what is. If there is cost, I choose to pay. If there is need, I choose to give. If there is pain, I choose to feel. If there is sorrow, I choose to grieve. When burning, I choose heat. When calm, I choose peace. When starving, I choose hunger. When happy, I choose joy. Whom I encounter, I choose to meet. What I shoulder, I choose to bear. When it's my death, I choose to die. Where this takes me, I choose to go. Being with what is, I respond to what is. This life is as real as a dream. The one who knows it cannot be found, and truth is not a thing. Therefore, I vow to choose this moment's entrance gate. Whatever arises in this next period of practice, can we choose what is? Okay, so sitting at ease. Right. Bring a non-reactive attention to our moment-to-moment experience. Reactivity, can we bring awareness to the reactivity? Various attention to what's here. Establishing awareness in the body, bringing awareness to the posture, various sensations that are felt that come and go. Body sitting and aware of sitting. 
Changing your attitude to various sensations in your body. Awareness, curiosity. Already some roaring or some fearing or some judging or some liking or reacting. Activity, if there is any, comes from reacting to the unpleasantness. There is chronic pain or chronic difficult sensations in the body, then of course there's no need to only give that attention. We can skillfully direct the attention to something that's more neutral, more easeful. Breath. Sensations in the body. Yeah, that you can settle your attention. Breath. Breath, aware of the body, as the ground for the attention. And at the same time, 
Noticing other things in your experience as they appear, sounds coming and going, temperature, coolness, warmth. While being curious, can I be present to this? Noticing activity in the relationship to what's here. Any emotions that arise or get triggered by thoughts or sensations? Hold and meet.
mind, noticing the relationship to thoughts, ideas. Activity, judgment. Thoughts are like this. Emotion is like this. Sensation of the body are like this. Pain is like this. Pleasantness is like this. or fight, their phrase of equanimity, things are as they are. causing any reactivity or stress, simply resting in open awareness, present to your moment-to-moment experience. Resuming awareness. Breath in the body.
way to explore working with reactivity or non-reactivity in the mind as we end of this meditation I just invite you to pay attention to anywhere in your experience that's not so easy to be with in your body in emotion Bring a curious, spacious attention to this experience. Awareness can hold and envelop an experience. Resting in the knowing of it. Lost or consumed in it or in reacting to it. Aiming it is helpful. Pleasantness. This. Is a reaction or contraction. Invite that to soften, to open. to acknowledge what's here, but also to shift the attention to something more neutral, or to move back and forwards, to say, from the breath to this difficulty. So there's not a sense of duck. possible to infuse any quality of kindness or warmth or softening towards this experience. Letting that go, coming back to something neutral, breath, sounds, space all around you.
Words from Donna Falls. There is no controlling life. Try corralling a lightning bolt containing a tornado, dam a stream, and it will create a new channel. Resist and the tide will sweep you off your feet. Allow and grace can carry you to higher ground. The only safety lies in letting it all in. The wild, the weak, the fear, the fantasies, the failures and successes. When loss rips off the doors of the heart or sadness veils your vision with despair, practice becomes simply bearing the truth. In the choice to let go of your known way of being, the whole world is revealed to your new eyes. Never easy to turn towards that which we don't want to be with, but also really good training, because that's what practice is, and that's what life is. We sit down and we sit in the fire of whatever experiences, internally, externally, and I often think of mindfulness as resilience training. We're building certain muscles of capacity to be present, to be steady, to be grounded, to not be so lost in our mind or reactivity, to open up the door of kindness and compassion, which we'll talk more about this afternoon, or at least open that window. Also humbling, because we get to see, you know, lovely walk in in the nature, and then we come back and Suddenly, we're all tight and crampy and contracted and negative and mm, and all we want to do is have lunch and go to sleep, (laughs) which you're welcome to do soon. (laughs) So we're also meeting our humanness, right? It's hard to be human, hard to have a body, hard to be caught in reactivity, hard to lose presence or... You know, hate our body, or you know, which happens. Of course, what we do internally, we do externally. So this is the training, part of the that for training. The warrior training is how do we show up with with ourselves and our experience with kind awareness. Just easier said than done. So any comments about that before we break for lunch? Any I'd like to sit with that which is not easy to sit with or work with reactivity. Uh-huh. There it comes. Yeah, yeah. So how was it? How how was it to work with it in the sitting? If you did work with it.
Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, and to, you know, I think one of the things that have that that's funny is that we we get surprised, <laughs> like, oh, where did this come from? As if that doesn't, as if that's not part of life, right? Like, oh, wait a minute, I came to Spirit Rock to get away from this. <laughs> oh, good luck. <laughs> And then, and then the, the practice feels very simple to me, which is how do, I, how do I show up for this? How do I hold it? How do I not get lost in judgment and blame and contraction? And if I do, how do I hold that? Because often we do. Oh no, <laughs> I'm caught. I hate this. All right, can we be compassionate? Giving of our heart or our mind or... I'll pass the mic just because this is being recorded. So, um, I consider myself pretty good at not being terribly reactive, mm-hmm. and I kind of have the mantra of letting things go, mm-hmm. letting the emotion, the whatever. But when you were talking in the beginning, while I understand it, I I found I didn't like it, and that was the phrase things are as they are. And at one level, I completely get that. And then there's this other level where I have some guilt intruding. And it's like, wow, that sounds like I'm indifferent to the whole world and all the suffering Mm. that's going on. Mm. Things are as they are. And I know intention and everything Mm. bears on that. I just found that putting it that way was a little disturbing to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because the implication that it sounds passive? Yeah, passive and, and... um, indifferent almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I remember when I was younger, I talking about things probably like the Vietnam War or something with my mm-hmm. dad. And he would say, these things have always been here. And I thought, well, that's pretty pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> we still have to do something. We have to right. fix them. Right. Can't right. just say they've always been here. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, yeah. And it's true. It's, it's, it's a fine line that the, the, the near enemy to equanimity is indifference, right? which is not equanimity. It just looks like equanimity, right? So it could be, yeah, things are as they are. It's how the world is. Sometimes we like our president, sometimes we don't. You know, yeah. things are as they are, and come easy, come easy, go, right? But that, you know, and you can't necessarily tell from the outside, right? That phrase might be a wisdom phrase that your dad was saying, because it's true. This is the way of the world and the way of human beings, you know, ignorant and hurting each other and fueled by greed and hatred. You know, it's part of the way of the world. And um, and and the 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 for me the the equanimity phrase is I mean the, a better word for equanimity is really balance, a balanced real attitude to, to experience. Um, and, but what I do like about that, the teaching around equanimity is the, the first step of it is meeting what is, right? Which is really the basis of all mindfulness practice. Can I meet what is? So, you know, whether it's, you know, nightmare in Syria, for example, right? Your dad might say, well, there's always worse. Like, yes, there is true. 
and it is as it is. Right? Things are as they are. Warfare is happening and will happen. And it doesn't mean, oh well, you know, or no big deal. It just means this is reality. You know, it, it's a reality statement rather than a indifferent statement. The, the the point isn't to create indifference. The point is to is to not fight the reality. Doesn't mean not to change the reality. It just means not to fight. Yes, there is <coughs> suffering. There is violence. There's oppression. There's senseless warfare. Right? That is that is the nature of human life at this time. You know, um, which you know, because I think so often, you know, and, and so to bring it down to a, to a micro level, you know, like. You know, say you've got some chronic pain. You know, things are as they are. The body, the body, many times has chronic pain. Doesn't mean we're indifferent to it. It just means, oh yeah, that's partly the nature of the body. Gets old, gets sick, gets pain. Um, so the there's a difference between the, the acknowledging of it and the responsiveness to it. If we're denying the reality that there's pain, we're not going to have a very effective response. Or if we believe the pain shouldn't be happening or it's an aberration, then the response is going to be distorted. But if we can simply acknowledge, of course, yeah, of course there's pain. That's, that's a body. And... The, the, the relationship comes in the context of wise action. You know, what is the wisest response to that? Sorry about the feedback. Does that make sense? Yes, completely. Yeah. So I just think of that phrase as the first step. How it is as it is. Okay. Well, that's true and it's also and and I might have a lot of feelings about that like that's terrible the warfare happens senselessly and innocent people get killed and drones wipe out whole families and communities and you know and what's my response to that right? that's that's the next step is I like breaking it down that way yeah it's just a first step yeah yeah I mean it can lead to passivity for sure but it doesn't need to. It, I don't think in its essence it needs to lead to passivity. Um, myself, it helps me... It actually helps me feel less despair. Because despair comes out of thinking it shouldn't be happening. Like, well, just, it is happening because that's what happens on this planet. Yeah. You know? So, can we do something about it? Definitely. Do we want to do something? Definitely. Can we do something? Let's see what we can do. Let's see what we want to do. But yeah, certainly, you know, when I <clears throat> you know, hear about all the senseless things, I feel, yeah, that, that's what happens. That's what we do because we're ignorant. And it's also very, very sad. You know, tragic. And that's the heart's response. Uh, some action may not. You know. 
Thank you. Yeah. Yes, at the back. We'll take one more question, then we'll break for lunch. Thank you. Um, I have times when I feel the the presence and space for um, kind of accessing non-reactivity or being a little more equipped to access that, and mm-hmm. then <clears throat> just with you know life intensity and a combination of family interactions and stressful emotional work interactions or um, events happening. Visceral sort of physiological and emotional experience is so intense that I don't know, I feel myself transported down a path and like the non-reactivity is over there but when every fiber of my being is engaged in a reaction it's like I can I can feel myself in an unhealthy space and I don't really have the power to do something about it Mm -hmm. I guess I just I don't know the best way to yeah that experience yeah so what do you do when you're in the fire <laughs> you get reactive. <laughs> I think I tend to. Uh, that helps me. Yeah, um, getting out in nature, running. Yes, yes. Um, so I think that the physical right um, helps, and then sometimes I can actually feel this shift back to a space where there's mm-hmm. potential access toward that wiser, you know. Yeah, part. yeah. No, I think that's. I think you know. Each of us has to find our own way, right? And the body is a, can be a great way. Moving the body, right? moving the energy. If it's, if it's anger and frustration and rage, and it's a lot of energy. You want, ideally, you want it to be just charging it, moving, walking, running. Right? One way of doing that, just going outside. We have a different... You know, maybe we're getting frustrated with our computer and uh, you know work stuff, and we're just... And we put it down because we can't, but you know, we're just caught in that reactive place. So we go outside, we take a walk, walk around the block. All oh, right, oh, what a beautiful day. Wow, didn't really notice that it was sunny today. Right? And suddenly it shifts the attention. Right? We t- whenever we take the attention off the trigger, it, it, it's like taking fuel off the fire. It allows that whole you know, chain of reactivity to calm unless we keep refueling it with our thoughts. So usually the more we move the body, get into the body, or get into our senses and something that's not that, whether it's physical pain, somebody, you know, some, some person who's triggering us, some situation that's triggering us, an emotion that's triggering us, the more that we can divert the attention momentarily, it allows that activation to, to calm down. You know, taking deep breaths. Um, moving, standing, talking to somebody else, right? Many different ways, having a cup of tea, eating for some people, soothing, right? We want to soothe the nervous system. Um, but I find, I think, you, I think you're wise to, you know, to, to, you know if you're in the heat of a conversation, sometimes it's like, you know, I can't have this conversation. I need to take time out for 30 seconds, 30 
days, thirty, you know, whatever. Um, you know, it takes a while to just calm down. Right. I think it can take a lot of <clears throat> patience because you you become aware and then you set an intention and then you keep checking in and you're like, okay, I'm still wound. Yeah. No, it does take patience and it takes time. Yeah. We we you know we set unrealistic expectations for ourselves often. So. Um, we practice, we practice, it's training. This is training. You know, we see the way in meditation, we see the way that, you know, we're sitting having a very peaceful meditation, listening to the birds, and then we remember something a co-worker said to us, and we get mad. And like, wow, I'm not even at work, and I'm still mad. And here I was enjoying the spring, you know, bird song. Right? We see how we recreate and add and fuel the fire. And, and it's very painful. And so we see how we engage and stir it up and how we can actually disengage and, 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 and calm it down. But, yeah. I, I don't have a magic pill, but the awareness is the key. And then, and then and having a whole plethora of options to shift the attention or the body or you know, away from the charge. Until you, you know, because until we're regulated, there's no point in engaging because we're just going to cause the same. Same, you know, when we get an annoying email comes in, if we're triggered writing the email, when it doesn't lead to much fruit, good, good result. <laughs> right? How many of you sent emails and got, oh God, I really shouldn't have sent that. <laughs> I should have put it in the draft folder. You know, I mean, just, uh, just when we're triggered, we just. <laughs> Right? And then, and then, you know, it cause it's misinterpreted. It adds, you know, just it just it doesn't. You know, I was talking. I was working with Sonoma County managers last week, um, doing a mindfulness and emotional intelligence training. And this one guy who works in, um, oh, I think maybe in HR, or, he works in mental health. And he was saying, um, you know, as soon as the, the slight bit of disagreement or Contention in the email, he just says, "Call me." Like I'm not resolving this over email. Like I'm not going. I'm not going to engage until we talk face to face, or phone at least, because yeah. email is such a bad way of resolving anything that has any emotional nuance to it, because it's misinterpreted. So um, you know, so we can, you know, but the. Uh, you know the the self awareness, the awareness of the body, tracking triggers, tracking the escalation. Like all that is really helpful because that's it's when we don't track that that we're already at high activation and you know we've lost the plot. And with mindfulness, we can start feeling the buildup: body tensing, heart closing, throat gripping, heat, knuckles whitening. You know, just material for. Intercepting. All right. Well, it's lunchtime, so this is a great time to resource. <laughs> so it's a beautiful day. Um, feel free to eat. Uh, you're welcome to eat in here. I highly recommend going outside. You can there's nice benches there. Um, you can eat on the patio outside. Um, there's lots of nice benches in the meadow where the old Dharma Hall was. Um, let's keep the space in silence. So those of you who like to meditate after lunch or, or just you can take a rest. Um, there's another room 
across the hallway that's empty. You could rest in there if you'd like to rest after lunch. Don't eat too much because you'll be more sleepy in the afternoon. I mean, eat, but don't, you know. The more you eat, the more tired you might be in the afternoon. And then, you know, take a stroll if you feel like strolling. We'll come back at two, so it's ten to one now. Um, And some of you, it might be really nice. You might want to be quiet during lunch, just like I just want to be really present to myself and to the land. And and others of you have come with friends or you want to connect with people here and please, you know, enjoy each other and get to know each other. And, um, you know, this is really about resourcing, right? So what resources support you in these times? Nature, friendship, quiet, physical activity, rest, right? Each of us has different needs. So listen to that and, and we'll come back at two. Okay, thanks.
back, everybody. Amazing lunch. Time on the land. Be dreamy. You know, I often think that um, not teach anything here and just people just came out for the day and were just quiet you know walked and sat on the benches and walked and ate and slept and benches and (laughs) 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 that that would be plenty almost like being here in a more structured way uh, we have permission to plug, permission to slow down, permission to let go, permission to turn within, permission to not be so busy, not be so industrious, and not be so uh, pushing things. world, most of us, maybe some of you have found ways to Red Mill, but area. France of industriousness. Friends, and it'll be. So, what's new? What's, what's the latest thing you're doing? <laughs> Have you discovered? Which will find questions, but there's a there's a leaning into. Okay, so what else? You know, something bigger, better, different, newer, more, faster. App device. I was listening to. <laughs> Oh, and NPR yesterday, um, augmented reality, software and hardware, which I didn't know that phrase till the radio show, which is the next step from virtual reality, which is um, where we stay in this reality, but it's augmented. So it might be having interaction with a hologram, um, or it may be uh, a layer of stuff. Another layer of interface with technology, um, which may have its own. But mostly, it would be good to sell stuff. Um, you know, like human, right? Right. This integration, the singularity, the integration of humans and technology. But it leads to. <clears throat> on our well-being, as we all know from our own engagement with devices. 
was actually reading a very interesting article in the Times this week or last week from the guy who co-developed Twitter and then also founded Blogger. And um, his and the thinking back in when those were being spawned 15 years ago was the internet's a good thing and channels of communication are a good thing and if you just provide the medium for people to communicate with each other around the world, it's a good thing. Right? And then we had this election. <laughs> and, you know, and, and the president attributes Twitter to his success in winning the election. You know? And we see all the false news, fake news, and all the... And basically, this, um, this, uh, this inventor, you know, who's now founded Medium, a company called Medium, um, uh, was, was, was basically saying that the, the, the problem with the internet is it rewards extremes. So, you know, extreme behaviors and, and words and actions get attention, just like, you know, roadside accidents get attention, right? So we're all sort of rubbernecking on the internet to the extremes, and then you have, you know, what happened in the election cycle, the last election cycle. And... another layer of things to bring our awareness to. You know, how do we engage with the internet and social media and our news sources and how we you know, interface with that medium because it's so informative and, and um, inflammatory and um, true. <laughs> How many people have posted something that wasn't true? We posted something that wasn't true <laughs> and got called out for it. Huh? No, personally. Oh. <laughs> maybe Spirit Rock, probably not, but maybe, you know. <laughs> so I think one of the things that is happening during this time is that the um, things that were a little more beneath the surface are now more on the surface. So the, the legitimization of racism, of racial slurs, of uh, empathy towards immigrants, um, homophobia, um, there's been a, a legitimization of a lot of reactive views and behaviors. That is, you know, an increase in racial violence is growing tremendously and uh, assaults on the LGBTQ community growing and um, yeah, a lot of surfacing of activity that's always been there, but it's becoming more um, prominent, more overt. You know, I was watching the Warriors game last night. Anybody watching the Warriors game last night? Really fun game if you're a Warriors fan. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Empathy and compassion. <laughs> uh. <laughs> 
good at coming back, apparently. <laughs> yeah. The second game will not be the same as the first game. Anyhow, you know, and then, you know, LeBron James, you know, the day before the game, he has the word nigger uh, painted on his house in L.A. You know. in uh, was the Black History Museum was it Black History Museum or Black Cultural Smithsonian yeah I think you're right yeah, yeah. Um, you know there's been a legitimization of, of that more overt behavior overt speech and tremendously painful a lot of suffering a lot of more overt discrimination And it comes back to this, um, you know, I think it's a multi-faceted um, response of both bearing witness, not turning away from the reality that's happening, that's getting worse for the, the, f- the opening to the pain of that. Um, Slowly, as a culture and as a society and as a world, we waking up to that. It's not new, but it's there's a certain layer of it coming to the surface. Same in England. I'm from England. Much more racial attacks happening. Um, anti-immigration policies. Um, France, the same. 11 million voted for, you know, pro a witness to that how do we stay present to the pain of what's happening How do we respond and take action? And our own unconscious bias and our own ways that we're unconscious. which is similarly requiring a lot of bearing witness to the pain. Mary Oliver. Oh, that, it, but it's about loons. He writes, here is a story to break your heart. Are you willing This winter the loons came to our harbor and died one by one of nothing we could see. A friend told me of one on the shore that lifted its head and opened the elegant beak and cried out in the long, sweet sabering of its life. 
which if you've ever heard it, you know is a sacred thing, and for which if you've not heard it, you had better hurry to where they still sing. And believe me, tell no one just where that is. The next morning, this loon speckled and iridescent when with a plan to fly home to some hidden lake was dead on the shore. I tell you this to break your heart, by which I mean only that it break open and never close again to the rest of the world. The things that's being invited of us is how do we keep our hearts open when there's tremendous suffering in the world? And of course, there's always tremendous suffering in the world, and we may be exposed to it or you know, in more direct ways, maybe more apparent some of the social uh, suffering uh, that comes from political fallout. And, you know, one of the, 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 the pivot points is how do we stay open without falling into despair or depression versus shutting down, numbing out, and, or denying. Right? age of distraction and, and uh, our ability to, to dist- amuse ourselves is unprecedented <laughs> as a culture, you know. Wonderful, you know, there's great art and film and technology and movies and, you know, I could hold myself up for a year and watch all the HBO series that I keep hearing of great and never have time to watch. Why not? Distraction. Distracting us from some of the more real pressing issues of climate change being one. Lunch about the feeling. Someone asked me how I felt about the pulling out of the cord and I said kind of excited because of the you know because of the tremendous response that's arising as we spoke of earlier and Ali and cry I have a friend who um, sent an email that he called my brother. And he said to his um, people that he worked with that he wouldn't be into work this week because his brother had died in an, uh, in a, um, a kid was killed in a train in Portland last week. And... Um, he said he was defending with some other people, two young women, mm-hmm. and uh, he had been stabbed to death by a white supremacist. And he said, I'm proud of my brother. We're proud of my brother, and we're going home now to be together. And it just broke my heart because it was that being able to see and say something else 
about his brother's life having meaning and mattering and that they were proud of him. And I thought, wow, I didn't go there when I heard it, you know. So I just wanted to tell you that story. Yeah, beautiful. Similar story in a way. I think I have it. Let me see if I have it. Mm. I think about the family's victims from the Charleston massacre. And um, how much forgiveness they were able to muster, you know. For losing capacity, you know, that comes out of their faith and their practice and their You know, and so these teachings ask, you know, are inviting us to to not turn away, right? to to face the truth of our experience, including the, both the joy and also the pain and the sorrow and the loss and the grief and self. The the grief comes, you know, since I'm my life and work is so intimately connected to the earth, and that's probably why I feel the deepest grief around what's happening politically, not just with this administration, but in the... terrible damage to the ecosystems of the planet and tremendous sorrow of the blindness and ignorance and... mentioned I worked a lot with Joanna Macy, who's a wonderful Buddhist activist and one of the one of the ways to assess the health of an ecosystem is it how it responds to difficulty. So for example a healthy response of a human ecosystem to what's happening in the world is grief, is sorrow, is rage, is sadness. And feel that, to feel the tremendous pain that moves through us at times when we hear about the Portland killing or we hear about, you know, or the species and greatest risk to the to the planet is not the harmful actions that are being done to it, but by the numbness in response to those actions. Much too overwhelming, we feel too small. 
problems feel too big, so we check out. And that indifference, which is different than equanimity, hopelessness or the helplessness or the allows it to continue. And we all have our own place in that at times. Too much, too overwhelming, too difficult, too complex, too big. The need to feel the pain and to grieve, however the grieving or whatever the response is, because that actually liberates the energy and of the emotion to, to engage and to not go into freeze or not go into despair. Very, very helpful, you know, and do enough crying. You know, we all have things that we love, right? People, friends, communities, ecosystems, you know. Risk or harmed, and it's appropriate to grieve and to cry and to wail and to, which is this beautiful uh, process of the truth mandala, where you step into the truth mandala. It's this, create this space here. And there's this four quadrants. There's there's a place for fear, a place for anger, a place for grief, and a place for um, joy. Mm, I don't think so. Maybe. And in the center, there's whatever else is unsaid, whatever else is unfelt. Um, or freezing or something in the end the, the, anyhow it's very powerful to feel into those different dimensions of us in response to things we actually the teacher council spirit rock we met in here after the election and we had one of those in response to the election it was very powerful to speak uh, truth to the pain and the anger and the sadness and the despair and, and witness it and not to fix it not to rid of it, but just to name it, just to hold space for that. I think the, the hard practices in, in these teachings, the practice of loving kindness, the practice of compassion, the practice of turning the heart to joy, the practice of equanimity, um, Others, you know, very powerful practices to to um, shut down in in pain or in in but but to actually find a way to stay open or stay connected to not wall off whoever it is we think was doing the doing the the damage. of 45th on their altar. You know. Reminding them, like, can I fall into hatred? Right? Very easy to fall into hatred, hating that which we think is hating. 
right? and in, in turn create more cycles of hatred. Let's do a little practice. Let's do some heart practices this afternoon. So, again, finding a comfortable posture. Please sitting with kindness in your posture, kindness towards your body. Chest and center, heart center. Breath in the chest. Noticing what's present. What are you feeling here? moments to <clears throat> call to mind something that touched you today or recent days, something that touched your heart in a way that allowed the heart to feel open or loving or connected or moved in some way. Maybe it's seeing an animal here or a beautiful flower. that that allowed your heart to open, to feel warmth and care and connection. Think of something specific. 
Seeing someone, some being that gladdened your heart, maybe a tree. into or sensing any sense of warmth you have towards this thing, this being, this person. Practice of loving kindness where letting the heart be touched, letting the heart radiate, extending warmth or friendliness or kindness. Warmth to this being, this spirit. Calling to mind someone with whom you feel a similar quality of warmth or connection or love for. qualities if there's any natural sense of warmth or friendliness or radiance of your heart towards them Like you can add phrases of express this heartfelt wish, loving kindness. Feel happy. Healthy. Safe.
them in your mind's eye, sensing them. Words or just a, a quieter radiance of your heart extending this warmth. Happy. Healthy. Safe. Whatever your words, whatever your wishes are for them, bring the heart naturally itself, repeating these words or these wishes slowly, silently, to them. Calling to mind a friend. Um, Exercise, calling to mind someone who you know well, who you care about, but who's not having an easy time. Maybe pain, emotional challenges, life, work, family, stress. Person to mind and sense into the
We're connecting with both their goodness and their wish to be happy. Kindness to them, which may also include a flavor of compassion since you're attuning to this person's difficulty. Safe. Happy. Healthy, or as healthy as you're able to be. The phrase, compassion that speaks to the pain therein. May you be free of pain and suffering. Hold your pain with kindness and ease. Free of suffering. Hold yourself with kindness. is with kindness. Stories about this person, just coming back to this simple wish. Happy, free of suffering.
same awareness to yourself, same attitude of kindness, and holding yourself in all the ways that you experience yourself, both joys, sorrows, with friendliness. Body. Actions. Heart. Of mind. ourselves just as we are. Ourselves. You. Healthy or as healthy as I'm able to be. love and accept myself just as I am. Words or similar words in your own way to yourself, to your heart, to your body.
Returning outwards to the world. Waves of warmth and kindness, compassion. Your heart may be called to extend love, kindness, compassion. Things that may be suffering in this world. and lack of safety. Ocerated. Sick and dying. Injured. Free from suffering. Children, all infants, all babies. Heart expand outwards, whatever ways the heart is called to extend kindness.
poem from a poet called Rishani about what capacity arises in the heart as we transform suffering. She says, There is a brokenness out of which comes the unbrokable, a shatteredness out of which blooms the unshatterable. There is a sorrow beyond all grief which leads to joy and a fragility out of whose depths emerges strength. There is a hollow space too vast for words through which we pass with each loss, out of whose darkness we are sanctioned into being. There is a cry deeper than all sound whose serrated edges cut the heart as we break open to the place inside which is unbreakable and whole. But when we do practices like that, we may not feel much. Maybe we, you know, the, the nature of, of the, particularly the heart practices, the, the, I think it's true of all practices, is they're all purification practices in that they often bring up that which is sort of in the way. So, so for example, we... Well, I'm going to wish loving kindness for all beings, or all beings in America, or whatever. And, it's, and then we realize, oh, well, actually, no, I don't want to do that, or I can't do that, because there's a whole sway of the population that I pushed out of my heart, and I don't want them to be well, because they're mean, or oppressive, or whatever. Or, you know. um, so it's just just useful to notice where the heart has capacity and where the heart has restriction. Not to judge that, but just to notice where does my heart get, you know, caught and therefore suffer, and where does it have room to grow? The heart always has room to grow. I was teaching a loving-kindness retreat last week at um, Sister Center Insight Meditation Society with Sharon Salzberg and there, um, yeah, as I do in my retreats, is to um, walk, do walking practice where you're practicing having the heart open. And so often when we're walking outside, we're more mindful. But there's a way that we can include that loving-kindness practice that's generative, that's warm, that's inclusive, that's friendly, that's benevolent um, with uh, you know, whatever life we encounter. So we'll, just, we'll do a little walking now, not for very long, maybe 15, 20 minutes. 
come back at 3.15. And just as you're walking or standing, just be inclusive of the life around you. Maybe you pass people, maybe you see birds fly or someone drive by or you hear the sound of cars in the distance or someone comes to you, your mind. And just see if you can have a sort of a, an open warmth. You may, you may use phrases or you may just have a more kind of kind attitude whether it's the forest or to the bugs or whatever it is that you encounter even the ticks <laughs> may the ticks be happy that was a big so I was, you know, I was teaching in Massachusetts it's a big deal there's a lot of ticks and a lot of Lyme's disease now there's a new disease that Lyme's ticks have over there and um, there was a lot of <laughs> wrestling with I can't do it for the ticks <laughs> everything else but not the ticks Okay, well, we all have our limits, you know. (laughs) So... One woman who was having a lot of trouble with that, at some point there was a tick in the hall and she grabbed it with a piece of paper and very lovingly took it outside and didn't kill it. Happy means may all beings. <laughs> so we'll just walk for a little bit, 15, 20 minutes, and then we'll come back. And I want to talk a little more about how we engage, how we step up in action, and some reflections around that. And I'll stay behind if there's any questions or anything.
I'm going to have us do a practice in a minute, <clears throat> which I regard of regard as a um, <clears throat> it's a support for it's a it's um well, it's an empathy practice actually, but um, I'm going to read a, uh, one of my favorite stories from a Palestinian poet, Naomi Shihab Nye, and it's called. Wandering around the Albuquerque airport terminal, which I do a lot of because I, I teach a lot in New Mexico. After learning my flight had been detained for hours, I heard an announcement. If anyone in the vicinity of gate 4A understands any Arabic, please come to the gate immediately. Well, one pauses these days, doesn't one? Gate 4A was my own gate, but I went there. An older woman in full traditional Palestinian embroidered dress, just like my grandma wore, was crumpled to the floor, wailing loudly. Help, said the flight service person. Talk to her. What's her problem? We told her the flight was going to be late, and she did this. I stooped to put my arm around the woman and spoke to her haltingly in Arabic. The minute she heard any words, the minute she heard any words she knew, however poorly used, she stopped crying. She thought the flight had been cancelled entirely. She needed to be in El Paso for major medical treatment the next day. I said, you're fine. You'll get there. Who is picking you up? Let's call him. We called her son, and I spoke with him in English. I told him I would stay with his mother till we got on the plane and would ride next to her. She talked to him, and then we called her other sons just for fun. Then we called my dad, and she and she spoke for a while in Arabic and found out, of course, they had ten shared friends. Then I thought, just for the heck of it, why not call some Palestinian poets I know and let them chat with her? This all took up about two hours. She was laughing a lot by then, telling telling us about her life, patting my knee, answering questions. She had pulled a sack of homemade mamul cookies, little powdered sugary crumbly mounds stuffed with dates and nuts out of a bag and was offering them to all the women at the gate. To my amazement, not a single woman declined one. It was like a sacrament. The traveler from Argentina, the mum from California, the lovely woman from Laredo, we were all covered with the same powdered sugar and smiling. There is no better cookie. And then the airline broke out free beverages from huge coolers and two little girls from our flight ran around serving us all apple juice and they too were covered with powdered sugar. And I noticed my new best friend, by now we were holding hands, had a potted plant poking out of her bag some medicinal thing with with furry green leaves. Such an old traveling tradition, always carry a plant, always stay rooted to somewhere. And I looked around the gate of late and weary ones and thought, this is the world I want to live in, the shared world. Not a single person in the gate, once the crying of confusion stopped, seemed apprehensive about any other person. They took the cookies. I wanted to hug all those other women too. This can still happen anywhere. Not everything is lost. So it's just a great story of, you know, how we, you know, there's often the initial, you know, safe, who are these people, am I okay, what do they want, you know, friend or foe, you know, we we often move through the world, naturally, sometimes necessarily, and and then when something happens like you know that example where it sort of shatters some of the the perceived differences and the um, 
walls that we normally have constructed around us for safety or for whatever. So I'd like us to do a little practice. It involves us, we're going to um, do this in pairs. I'd like you all to stand up and um, find a partner and then uh, arrange your chairs so you can sit facing each other. Chairs or zafus or whatever it is that you're... Uh, or you can stand if you're the same height, but not if, you, not if you're not the same height. A similar height, you know. So does everybody have a pair partner? Yeah, okay. So turn, to f- turn your chairs or bodies to face each other. So this is um, a practice called what, what, uh, seeing similarities, but using a practice called just like me. And it's, a, it's, it, it's an extension of the meta practice, actually, um, where we're cutting through perceived differences and seeing uh, our commonalities, uh, what we share rather than what divides us. So um, just take a moment to take this person in. Um, We don't normally meditate live with somebody, but we're going to do a little live meditation. So you can do this eyes open, you can do this looking at each other, you can do it with your eyes open but gazing down, because sometimes the eye contact is a little intense, especially with the stranger. Or you can do it with your eyes closed. But, but take a moment right now just to open your eyes and look at the person so you know who is sitting in front of you, especially if you're going to close your eyes. Or, and then you know, do whatever is necessary, either continue gazing or lower the gaze or close the eyes, whatever's, whatever's comfortable. And each of you might be doing something different, that's fine. And I'm just going to walk us through some phrases, some reflections about this person. So this person sitting opposite me is a human being, just like me. This person has a body with all of it. Joys and challenges. Just like me. Person no doubt wants to be happy and healthy. Just like me. Person has no doubt experienced disappointments, losses, challenges, rejections. Person has probably experienced joy and success and accomplishments like me. Person being in a human body is subject to aches and pains, sickness, aging, ill health, and the vulnerability of having a body 
just like me. person probably wants to love and be loved, to have loving, nourishing relationships, just like me. Today, this person wants to be happy and well, just like me. And your own reflection other ways this person like you eyes if they're closed or if they're lowered you can raise them and just taking this person in even if it's just for a moment, you know, you didn't have to do a lock-in eye gaze, just a moment of acknowledgement. And then I want you to extend this reflection to everybody here in the room. And you might look around if you wish or not. Everybody here in this room wants to be happy, wants to be free of pain, just like me. Yeah, has a body with its aches and pains and joys and sorrows, just like me. Yeah, wants to be free of pain, just like me. Rise again and just extending this to perhaps... body at work. Everybody in your office or your whatever place of work is. Work, then maybe your neighbors. There. Wants to be happy, just like me. Work. Wants to be free of pain, just like me. And extend it to people we're having difficulty with. Maybe also at work, but maybe, maybe the opposite side of the political spectrum, perhaps. side of the fence you're on, reflecting on the people on the other side of the political spectrum, want to be happy, just like me. Your pain, just like me. Bodies that will age, will get sick and die, just like me. Attention expand, just whoever comes into mind, those who are close or those who you regard as very different or separate or distant or other.
Letting that reflection go and just coming back to your breath, coming back to your body. Rise and in whatever way acknowledging this person, thanking them perhaps. Just taking a moment to talk about how that what that was like between the two of you. And just take a moment just to debrief that exercise. What did you notice? So thanking your partner, coming back to your seats. So I particularly like this practice. It's very similar to the meta practice in a way in that it's very portable. You know, you just remember that phrase, just like me, right? You're sitting in a boring meeting at work and someone is just hogging all the attention and going on and on about themselves. And you go, oh, this person's just like me, <laughs> likes to have attention. This person just like me, you know. Fill in the blanks, right? They're all the ways that you know we might other somebody, make them an other. Right? And if we really are honest, we can say, oh yeah, I can see myself in that. I can see myself being mean or acting out or being unconscious or, you know, how dare they cut me off on the freeway. <laughs> oh yeah, just like me. Sometimes I'm in a hurry or sometimes I'm just deluded and don't see 
traffic or, you know, aggressive or, you know. It's a very good way of cutting through the sense of separation and feeling a greater sense of commonality. Use this a lot during the election and, you know, when very divisive. And I would think about people who have different political views to me and I would think, well, for the most part, they just want to be happy. And we may even have the same values. We just have different ideas about how to bring those values in. You know, imagine people that are my political adversaries care about their families and want you know their children to do well and etc. And but have different ideas about and ideologies about how that should be done. Comments about that? What was that like? Just to, to I like the you know it's, it's like doing a a hot practice live. You know, normally we do the meta. It's very private and quiet and inward, internal. It's really touching to do it live. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, another human being. Yeah. yeah, and especially today, um, partly because I'm caring for somebody um, right now, I could see in each person that each person would die someday. And it made me mm-hmm. feel their preciousness even more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's good to remember that, to cut through a lot of the divide. Mm-hmm. Reflections. Is that useful to do? To do? A, yeah, it's fun to play with. You know, you know sitting on the bus, you know, driving, mm-hmm. you know, meeting. Very useful at work, <laughs> or where you have conflict. Yeah, this person just like me wants to probably doesn't like conflict actually some people do but most people don't yeah, most people prefer harmony if they had a choice maybe don't know how to do that but so. so yeah so the last piece I just want to you know have some discussion really some reflections about the um, theme of the day is, you know, practicing in difficult times. And, you know, one part of our practice is engaged action, you know, where we're not just meditating, observing, noticing, breathing, feeling, sending kindness, but we're actually getting off our cushion and, you know, engaging, you know, in some way. That express that comes out of our practice, that comes out of the clear seeing, and it comes out of mindfulness or compassion, right? The the fruit of you know compassion expresses itself not just in 
sentiment, but in, in actions. It's the wish to and the action to relieve the suffering of others. So, suffering in the world and plenty of need for responding in, in all the different ways that we can. Ah, responsive and caring in your work and in relationships and maybe some of you are a little more active in the social, political sphere than may you may have been a year ago. You know, certainly galvanize a lot of engagement, civic engagement. And reflect on what someone that, there was a Zen teacher and he was asked, you know, what is enlightened action? And the teacher said, um, an appropriate response. Enlightened action is an appropriate Ask ourselves, what is an appropriate res- response to these challenging times, to the political situation we're in to whatever you know whatever your challenging times are right? we all have different relationships to what's happening you know what, what is a wise and appropriate response right I think of mindfulness and and the practices of you know, the heart of kindness and compassion I think those combined much more likely lead to a wise response Wise response for ourselves, wise response for others, wise response for the world. So, look like for you, and for some of you, that might mean inaction. It might mean you're already doing plenty or doing too much. There's a great quote from Thomas Merton who talks about. The frenzy of the activist um, overcommitting to projects can be an act of violence towards oneself because we get so strung out. You know, I've worked with activists for many, many years, and particularly in a retreat center in New Mexico called Balacitos. Used to work with a lot of environmental social activists, and they would come to this ranch, this particular program, and the back then was they had, had to be an engaged activist for 10 years. And so most of those people who came hadn't had a break for 10 years. Um, and you know, a lot of them were environmental activists and they hadn't also been out in nature for 10 years. They were in Washington lobbying and responding to you know just the endless amount of crises and no different now as it were years ago and so so their response was often to go home and quit their job it wasn't necessarily great for the planet but maybe it was because we know it doesn't help when someone's burnt out and trying to do their work it just creates you know so so there's no one Way there's no one action there's no there's, you know but you know in 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 recent years there's a there's a 
the whole school of Buddhism, of engaged Buddhism, that's asking how do we take this practice from the cushion into our communities, into social justice, into ecological work, into confronting suffering real time, not just wishing all beings be well, um, but actually doing something, you know, however that may be, whether that's with your resources, with your time, with your skill, with your leadership, with who knows what. Inspiring to see how much more people are galvanized since the election to be engaged, especially locally. You know, and groups like indivisibility.org that's been, you know, f- copying body to uh, engage people in, in a local way to organize and, 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 and become more politically and socially active. Uh, but there's a whole plethora of groups. I'm sure some of you are already quite involved with them. But I think these times, you know, they invite us, encourage us to reflect. You know, what what is what is our response to what we see and hear every day in the news? You know, be educated about what's happening. It's another thing to use that education to actually engage. Where one can. The Dalai Lama says, if you don't want to help the world, that's okay. Just don't cause any problems. (laughs) (laughs) So that's one approach. (laughs) This is always a hard thing. It's a hard thing for me in my role as a teacher to um, talk about because it's very easy for people to feel guilty they're not doing enough or they feel like they're being shoulded and I've got to add to my to-do list as well as working and feeding the kids and being a taxi mom and um, whatever else. And I think it also you know, I think it is an interesting reflection to, to ask, you know, how does my practice interface with the world in a very real way, aside from, aside from how I'm living, you know, how I'm engaging with people and, you know, arming as much as I can. Are there ways that I'm, you know, being invited to step up in some way, you know, All the large ways. Remember during the Gulf War, I think when the Gulf War was happening, and there's been various times when Buddhist teachers have stepped up and you know, done political actions and gotten arrested and you know, made a statement that was an expression of nonviolence, as an example. Many ways to engage. Tutu, he says, do your little bit of good where you are. It's those little bits of good put together that overwhelm the world. 
And sometimes we feel like, oh, I can't do anything, I'm too small, the problems are too big, climate change is so overwhelmingly catastrophic, how can I impossibly find an effective point of engagement? And so we do what we can, you know. We engage ecologically, locally. I think what I'm seeing, and I think it's growing awareness in... um, this political climate is that the, the best place for people to put their efforts is in the, the local and state uh, level. Um, that, uh, you know, thing. And, but actually where the stuff happens on the ground, including the implementation of you know, is, in, is on the local level. And um, from David White who offers an interesting perspective he says your great mistake is to act the drama as if you were alone as if life were a progressive and cunning crime with no witness to the tiny hidden transgressions To feel abandoned is to deny the intimacy of your surroundings. Surely even you at times have felt the grand array, the swelling presence, the chorus crowding out your solo voice. Put down the weight of your aloneness and ease into the conversation. The kettle is singing even as it pours you a drink. Everything is waiting for you. So... And the, from the ego perspective, the the political and ecological situation is overwhelming, right? because we feel separate, isolated, individual, independent. Right? But that's not actually how life is. We're not separate, independent. We're very intimately connected. And everything that we do and say and buy and consume and every choice has an impact. Right? So how we're living makes a difference. This is again from the Palestinian poet Nai. She writes, The Arabs used to say, when a stranger appears at your door, feed him for three days before asking who he is, where he's come from, where he's headed. That way he'll have enough strength to answer. Or by then you'll be such good friends you don't even care. Let's go back to that. Rice, pine nuts, here, take the red brocade pillow. My, ser- my child will serve you water to your horse. Well, my child will serve water to your horse. No, I was not busy when you came. I was not preparing to be busy. That's the armor everyone puts on to pretend they had a purpose in the world. I refuse to be claimed. Your plate is waiting. We will snip fresh mint into your tea. Walt Whitman. Love the earth and the sun and the animals, despise riches, give alms to everyone who asks, stand up for the stupid and crazy, devote your income and labor to others, and your very flesh will be a great poem.
Beziehungen im Beautiful principle in Buddhist teachings of the Bodhisattva principle. This this figure here at the back wall is a Bodhisattva. It's a um, it's the archetype of compassion, Avalokiteshvara or Chenrezig. And um, the, the the story goes that was uh, looking over the plight of the suffering of all beings and was so moved by the suffering that uh, his head broke into a thousand. No, the, his body broke into a thousand uh, pieces and became arms to reach out to help. And so it's a beautiful archetype of how we can help, how we can devote our lives. And this is from George Bernard Shaw, who writes very beautifully in that vein. He says, This is the true joy in life, being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one, being a force of nature instead of a selfish little clod of ailments and grievances, complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. A little judgmental, but it's okay. I am of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community, and as long as I live, it is my privilege to do for it whatever I can. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die, for the harder I work, the more I live. I rejoice in life for its own sake. Life is no brief candle to me. It is a sort of splendid torch with which I've got hold of for the moment, and I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to future generations. Ways to engage, right? both grand and small. This I'm going to close with a with a very simple uh, action. This was um, uh, someone asked uh, an, an elder, uh, a woman, why how she had such a brightness to her complexion and her spirit and she says I use for my lips truth I use for my voice kindness I use for my ears compassion I use for my hands charity I use for my figure uprightness I use for my heart love and I use for any who do not like me prayer I love that it's so simple just immediate kind responsive no grandiose maybe who knows what she did with her life but just very simple and immediate something that's all within our range so I thought it may be interesting not everybody does everybody have something to write on we can get you something can we there's it's okay. It's okay. Um, who do, who doesn't have paper and pens? One, two. Would you mind running down and just grabbing some pens and paper from the office? Thanks. Oh, actually, yeah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe there's enough paper. Yeah. Actually, we're good. We're good. Noah. we're good. Uh, well, f- there'll be enough pens here. I bet. Any spare pens? I had one somewhere. Thank you for the. Who needs a pen? Any? No, we go. I think we're good, Noah. So, um, just take a few minutes to um, just reflect, and you you may not choose to write, but it, I think writing is a, is an interesting way to. Uh, reflect and um, 
So a couple things. One is, um, maybe you're already doing this anyway, so it's a mute question, but I think it doesn't hurt to reflect on it, which is, um, given the challenging times in which we live, you don't have to write this, be kind if you want. Given the challenging times that we live, what is your, your, what is your wisest response to these challenging times? Like what for you personally is the wisest or most effective response to these challenging times? Wisest and most effective response to challenges. Yeah, for some of you, maybe, you know, I'm burnt out. I got burnt out in the election and I need to go be in nature. You know? Or some of you might be, wow, I've really been neglectful and I really want to find a group and a community to get more involved. Or maybe it's, you know, I've got resources and I, I really should step up and give some money to the NAACP or the you know, some other great organization that you love. You know. It's like, wow, I need to practice. I'm so reactive. I just hate all those people who voted, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, I should get together with my, you know, girlfriends and, you know, do some local campaign, you know, some local action with that we've talked about. Ask our local congressman. Take a few minutes, just just seeing what comes to you. And you may want to add, as a reflection, what gets in the way of me doing that? These may be ideas that are not new to you, that you've had ideas of being more involved, of helping, engaging, putting your skills or resources to work. But, you know, for whatever reasons, we don't because we get busy or we're, you know, got family obligations or too tired. might support you to step up.
finish, you can take some moments to just reflect on or read what you've written. So, um, wrapping up what you're writing, writing, and what I'm going to suggest is we get into groups of three, and we just take a little time to share. You know, both share. Each person go around just sharing what, what, what. There's something about writing that helps clarify our intention. There's something about speaking it that also helps um, make it more concrete. It usually brings a little accountability in especially if you know the people you're sharing it with. And then um, once you've shared about what, you know, what you're um, inspired to do, um, you know, each person shared, then you can also talk about what will support you doing that, you know, what, what takes it from the page to action. So get into groups of three. I think we're, uh, we're the right number to do that. And we'll take about uh, 10 minutes for that. And there may be one group of two, because someone just left, so um, group of two is fine, or you could ju- each of you could join a group and it'd be group of four, either way. Okay.
So taking about another minute to wrap up. I'd love to hear back. What did you, anybody inspired to share with the group? Either what came out of that joint conversation or just what you feel inspired to do individually or... Like they're just like me, uh-huh. There's a way that, there's a way that, thank you, we... um you know, we have similar challenges and um, and also unique ways of responding to them, which it was exciting to see. Mm. So, mm-hmm. but it it feels as though we're not so separate. Mm. Right. Yep. Practice to integrate mm-hmm. real t- real time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very nice. to this cafe and um, the owner of the cafe is, re- is this recorded now it's not is really oh it is being recorded I'm not going to say the story it's <laughs> 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 really grumpy and So, other stories? <laughs> yeah. When you're driving, great place, yeah. People are, I mean, it's just like a simple thing mm-hmm. that, in, in a way to be mindful, is that like people are upset on the road. And sometimes mm-hmm. what I find sort of amusing is that I actually don't even know what I did to cause the irritation and frustration, <laughs> which is sort of interesting, right? <laughs> but on the other hand, it's like, you know, we are so quick to be, um, accusatory of people that are like, yeah. and it's like, well, have you never made a mistake or right, right, <laughs> like right. pulled out when you thought somebody wasn't coming or, right, you know, right. I mean, it's just interesting because if you can just think of it like that, then you're so much less likely to react because right. you have to really focus on yourself. Yeah. No, traffic is a great place to practice. I was 
driving yesterday, the traffic was really bad coming north. I'm not sure why everyone was getting home early for the game or something. And um, so it was long, it was you know, half an hour extra, and, and I was coming up to Francis Drake, and I let, I let you know, the bus come, and the bus was stopped, and I let, let the bus in, which people weren't doing, and the woman behind me was like... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I let the bus in, like... <laughs> May you be happy. <laughs> yeah. I, and I could totally empathize. Like you're sitting on the freeway. She maybe she's driven up from Palo Alto. Who knows where she's come from? And you know, I just want to get home. I'm tired, and <laughs> and now behind a bus. <laughs> Who is this guy? <laughs> Who is this guy? Get a life. Other things, Any responses, actions, inspirations. Yes, please. In the back. Active. I've worked with them, and I didn't like him, and so that just for me was very handy because now I can, I can still be who I am and say what I want to say, but I don't have to let their personalities irritate me as much as they have mm. in the past. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Great, great. Yeah, dig a little deeper. Yeah, yeah. Responses? Inspiration? Is that useful to reflect and talk, share? Yeah, Yeah, good, yeah. Good Good to write these things down because, you know, it's easy... Sometimes we get, you know, a day like this we have space, we get clarity, and then we go home, and then a week later we're just lost in the swamp of life and work and chores and children and whatever, and it's just easy to forget. You know. Anybody write down something that they would have to stretch to do? Edge? In some way, besides giving, donating money. Yeah. So it's like, do I don't research. even know. I haven't thought about it. So uh-huh. why don't I do some research? Great. Yeah. It doesn't seem like a too big a commitment, but yeah. let me just see where that leads. Yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, and that's really good to educate ourselves. Yeah. Another sort of version of that is who's already doing this work, right? There's probably anything we want to do, someone's doing it probably locally. Like it's like, you know, there's a lot of great people doing amazing work. And so maybe I just have to tune in and join forces, you know, with my time and energy and resources. I don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's most things, of, you know, there's many amazing, many amazing great people who are concerned citizens. And I find that very inspiring that there's whatever we care about, someone's probably doing something already about it. It's very unusual that it's not. Years ago, and she was from New York and was working with a social worker and um, kids, and seeing how the kids were, you know, with all these different diagnoses and were. There was a lot of sort of 
disparate services that were not integrated and the, and the kids weren't able to integrate what was being offered to them and what she realized the common denominator that would help them was mindfulness and no one was teaching mindfulness to kids where she lived in New Jersey and so she started an organization teaching mindfulness to kids that's now become this you know, very flourishing organization she's a non-profit of one person <laughs> she's the ED and bookkeeper and marketing and and uh, you know admin person and just very impressive and she's reached a lot of kids and nice curriculum and moved out here and offering it out here and so sometimes sometimes there is a niche and we have a skills Good. Well, very nice to be with you today. I hope this was useful to just come and recharge the batteries and be in the land and be with ourselves and each other and meditate and cultivate some mindfulness and awareness and kindness and connection to land and and, and ourselves. And always nice to just. out for a day, unplug for the day. <coughs> As Romy said, I'm here on Monday night. Um, so doing a few things here. I've got something coming up uh, in July, uh, July 14th. I forget what that is, but it's something. <laughs> it's on a flyer, is it? Probably, yeah. It's a day long about something. Um, not sure, no idea what it is, but anyhow. And um, I'm also doing some, uh, so as, I, as you might know, I do a lot of nature meditation work. Well, you might not know that, but I do that, integrating mindfulness into the natural world. And I have a few local things coming up. One is, um, they're kind of new ventures for me. One is um, doing a half-day sort of meditation, mindful meditation and hiking. Um, we're going to go uh, in the headlands. Um, on Saturday, June 10th, Saturday morning. So that's maybe even next week. Um, if you if you go, the best place to go is just go to um, go to my website. So my website is markcolman.org, M-A-R-K, Coleman.org. And um, there's information on there about location and times and registration. And then um, I'm probably going to do this thing. Uh, it's a little, I almost feel a little sheepish sharing it, but I'm going to do it. Um, in July, actually probably the day after that day long, on July 15th, um, I am going to, oh no, actually no, it's the 14th. Oh, I forget. Oh, anyway. This will be on the website too. Um, I'm going to do a day of mindful sailing. <laughs> so a friend of mine has a beautiful uh, catamaran that's very stable and big. Not huge, but you know, big enough for about a dozen people. And so I'm going to do a day of mindfulness on, on the water. It's a very, very sweet place to practice. And then we'll go to Angel Island and we'll do a little walking and sitting on the island. But mostly on the bay. So um, if you're interested in that, just go to all the stuff's on the website. 
and um, uh, yeah. So recently, not so long ago, I did a course on the inner critic with Spirit Rock. It was uh, based on the book, uh, online video course. Um, you might want to check out if you have a little judging mind and need a little assistance with that. Um, got some postcards that are out there. There's some events coming up uh, later in kayaking and meditation retreats in Baja, Mexico, every March. Week-long silent retreats out in the desert islands and very beautiful. Um, so. So we go out of, it's, it's the National Park near Loreto, Sea of Cortez. Do you know it? Yeah, so it's very beautiful. We, we spend six nights out on the islands. Lots of whales and dolphins and sea life. And silent. silent, all silent. Yeah, so we're, we're in silence for about six days, which is very beautiful, very delightful. Um, so I go with Sea Trek, who are based out in Sausalito. And my friend Bob, who owns Sea Trek, um, he's been going down there for 35 years with his company and uh, running trips. And then he, you know, we got together and said, "Hey, let's do a, let's make a retreat out of it," because that's what I do. I do retreats all over the place in the wilderness. And so we did it uh, about 10 years ago, our first one, and we've been doing it every year since then. And now we're doing two because they're filling up very quickly. And um, and he says he would never go back to do another trip other than a silent trip and because it's so much it's it's a much more profound way to experience the wilderness in silence and meditation in the wilderness um, i lead other, i lead other wilderness meditation courses they're they're all full this year but i'll be doing more next year Mexico, up in the mountains, and, and then Mexico, and we do one in Grass Valley, actually. So some land up there that friends have. Anyhow, lots of different things going on. I also run teacher trainings, mindfulness teacher trainings, wilderness meditation teacher trainings. Um, all of that stuff's on my website if that's of interest to you. I, every other year I run a mindfulness teacher training in San Francisco so the next one isn't starting till next September but um, alright everybody very lovely to be with you thank you for your presence um, I do have an email list did you, did you have that? someone grabbed the email list so um, if you want to put it on the back table and you can yes please sign out thank you All right, everybody, go well. Take care. Thank you. Thanks.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.